the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. We're going down to the river, down to the river, down to the river to pray. Yeah, yeah. Hey, good afternoon and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci, and I'm so glad you could join me on Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program where we typically take your calls and answer your questions about the things you care the most about, questions about God and the historical Jesus. We talk about the Bible. We talk about worldviews and world religions, but we also talk about current events. And every once in a while, I get to talk about something I want to talk about. And joining me is a native son of Texas and a current resident of Texas, attorney Barry Arrington. We've been friends for many years and my personal attorney over the years. Uh, Barry Arrington, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on, Gino. It's great to be here. Well, I'm so glad to have you on, and I know that you've been following closely the unfolding events that are taking place between, dare I use the term, the current uh, Biden administration and the state of Texas. Um, In the last week and days, the the governor of the the state of Texas issued a a statement that Texas has the right to defend and protect the border. And um, many people are calling this uh, a crisis, a, 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 I guess what I'm asking is, how would you characterize the, the situation that the administration in, in Texas is facing and is it hyperbole to say that this is a, a critical moment in American history? I don't think that is a hyperbole at all. I think we are experiencing a constitutional crisis of vast proportions. Uh, Joe Biden is the president of the United States, and the Constitution imposes a duty, not just powers, but duties on the president. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the duties that the president has is to uh, faithfully execute the laws of the land. And the law of, of the land is that uh, he has to guard the border. Uh, he, mm-hmm. And he can't just throw it open and let anyone he wants to uh, come in, especially can't throw it open and let millions upon millions upon millions. I mean, we're talking about many millions of illegal immigrants over the last three years have crossed the border. And not only has the Biden administration failed to uh, uh, enact its duty to prevent that, it has facilitated it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, the, the people uh, the, of the entire United States are feeling uh, the pain now. It's not just the border states, which feel it most acute, acutely for obvious reasons, but you're hearing even the northern states start to say that this is a crisis. 
Right. There are 25 different governors who have joined with the Texas governor. The Texas governor just a few days ago issued this statement. He said the Biden administration, um, he, he talked about Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3 of the Constitution, which reserves to the state the right to self-defense. And then the governor said, I have already declared an invasion under Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3 to invoke Texas's constitutional authority to defend and protect itself. So other people are using that term invasion. When we typically think of invasion, we think of an armed force invading America for the purpose of undermining or overthrowing our sovereignty. Is invasion the right word to use? Invasion is a word that has many meanings. And one of meaning, of course, is the one that you just used, but it can also mean millions of people crossing the border into this country with the intention of never leaving, and it's in all likelihood they never will leave. How are we going to even track where those millions of people are, much less uh, when it's determined that they don't have any right to stay here, uh, get them to leave? They're here to stay. And so under that term and uh, under normal circumstances when there is an invasion, you fight the invader. But what what Texas seems to be doing is trying to come up with a humane solution to the invasion. Do what are what are some of the the challenges and and possible conflict that could emerge from this this what seems to be. Uh, an ever-increasing crisis. Well, let's talk about what Texas has done and the Supreme Court decision that came out recently. Right. Uh, Texas has, has uh, in, in response to Governor Abbott's declaration of emergency, has started to put across the border barriers to the entry of these millions of, of illegal aliens. Uh, and one of the things they've done is put up, raise a wire to prevent the, mm-hmm. the uh, to enforce the basically the border. And uh, again, the Biden administration doesn't like the fact that Texas is trying to uh, stem the flood of millions of illegal immigrants coming into the uh, nation, and it has instructed its people to go in and take that those those wires down. And Fifth Circuit said uh, that Texas has the right to prevent the uh, Biden administration from removing the wire. Uh, and the Supreme Court said, no, you, uh, we, we don't let we won't say that they have the right to prevent that now. It didn't make an ultimate determinative decision uh, on the matter. It just said that the normal appellate process goes through. It may well be that we'll decide later that Texas has the right uh, to prevent this, but we're not going to let the emergency uh, injunctions stand. The, the mm-hmm. Supreme Court did not order Texas to do anything. It didn't order it to stop putting up the wire, uh, and, and Texas is going to continue putting up the wire. All it did was it, when Biden's people come in and start dismantling the wire, Supreme Court said that Texas can't prevent them from doing it. So there, there, there really is a kind of a constitutional tug of war between Texas, who's trying to enforce the border and, and, and make it a real border, and the, and the Biden administration, which is trying to obliterate the border. Now, obviously, uh, states' rights versus nationalism is not a new problem. This is an old, old problem, and the courts have tried to negotiate throughout history where the lines we draw 
in, uh, under those circumstances. Do you anticipate that the state of Texas might have to petition the courts or the Supreme Court with a fresh idea or a, a new um I guess I guess what I'm asking you is if the 25 Republican governors and their attorneys generals filed a lawsuit against the, the United States of America, what would you advise if you were able to advise the, the governors of these these states to how to proceed, how to go forward? Well, so um, th- that lawsuit is actually already in place. This is the oh, lawsuit okay. that we're talking about, and that's what is what is in the Fifth Circuit now, and. Texas is, is going to continue to try to enforce the border, going to continue to try to put barriers to, to stem the tide of millions of illegal aliens coming across. Um, and that is that lawsuit is all the Supreme Court said that lawsuit has to play out in the normal course. We're not going to jump the line, so to speak, uh, at this point. Uh, and and th- the problem that we have here, Gino, is that um, – what we have here is more of a political problem than a judicial problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when the um, president is is not enforcing the law, uh, what's the remedy? Mm-hmm. And you have a five four decision uh, last week where the the four conservatives um, lost to. Um, the, the three liberals, the one semi-liberal, and the other conservative. Uh, Amy Coney Barrett is the one who, right. who went over. And it's kind of understandable in this sense. She wants the political process to play out. She's very reluctant to get involved and have the Supreme Court start bossing around a co-equal branch of government. Right. Uh, and, and especially in an election year. So and, can and you let, stay, let me tell you what the solution is. Yeah. Can you the stay election? with me to, to, for oh, okay. the solution? We're coming up on a break. My guest, Barry Arrington, we're talking about the border crisis. And I've asked Barry Arrington to weigh in on the subject. I want to hear what he has to say. I hope you do, too. Stay tuned. This is Gino Geraci. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. My guest is Barry Arrington. He's an attorney. He is a native son of Texas and a resident of Texas now. We've been talking about the crisis at the border and the governor's um, recent statements, profound statements, really, um, that seems to be pushing this to a head. You, before we went to the break, Barry Arrington, you talked about the, the the Supreme Court ruling um, and how the the political ramifications of what's going on, but it seems to me um, that there is a cultural and a social there there might it, there might even be what we might call an existential crisis about what kind of a country we're going to be and whether or not we're going to survive. But you said you were you were going to talk about the solution to this problem, and so um, why don't you frame the discussion? And then let's return to um, what you perceive as maybe the most effective way to solve this problem, or at least in the short run. Okay. I think that what we need to do first is to perceive the judiciary's role in the country. The judiciary's role is not to run things. It is not to say you've got to do that and you've got to do that in terms of uh, political activity. 
so there, there is a difference between a judge standing up and saying in a constitutional case, so for example, they want to squelch someone's speech. No, you can't do that. That's unconstitutional. Right. And a judge standing up and saying, uh, okay, you, you have some um, political duties that you ought to be enforcing, and we're going to require you to do that. Uh, the, the, the former is, is every bit the judge's duty and, and within their ken. The latter judges quite properly stepped very gingerly uh, because we live in a democracy, and judges uh, are, are an anti-majoritarian part of that democracy, and they have a preference. A conservative court must have a preference for letting disputes uh, amongst the political branches, whether it's Congress and, and the presidency, or whether it's the federal government and the states, to play out politically. And w what's happening now is we have a political dispute between the federal government and the state of Texas. And the solution to that is for the people of the United States to stand up in November and say, enough, mm -hmm. enough. This is not going to stand. We're going to toss out an administration that refuses to do its most basic duty of defending the country against an invasion of foreign immigrants, millions and millions of foreign immigrants. Now, let me tell you, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it may not happen. Yeah. If the people say, you know what, I'm okay with the Biden administration throwing open the border and they vote to, th to put him back in, that's what you get in a yeah. democracy. Yeah, so if the people of the United States of America say, hey, you know what? I want a president who will ignore federal statutes. I want a president who will uh, mandate uh, the entry of illegal immigration. So, so what other people have been arguing is, hey, Whatever the solution to the problem of illegal immigrants is, we have to secure the border for whatever reason, both on the left and the right, both the, the dare you say, the progressive and conservative. They have failed to deal with this problem in a in, in a catastrophic way. And because no one is dealing with it, we to your point, if you go with the conservative number, 6 million, if you go with probably the more realistic number, which you quoted, 9 million, the governor of the state of Montana said that means more people have entered the United States of America. If, if you take one Montanan, there's been 10 illegal aliens that's he, he pointed out that's the, the, the number who have entered the country illegally are greater more than, than the, the population of 30 states of correct. And so you, you go, if this isn't an existential threat, if this isn't a real crisis, then how are we going to define a real crisis? Well, we have a lot of real crises on our hand. And let me tell you, you know, I, I the real crisis that. Uh, is is kind of on top of this. We have a uniparty in, uh -huh. in in Washington right now, and we've got a multiple crises. One of the fact is we've got thirty four trillion dollars of debt, right. and and we're adding one to two trillions of dollars to that every single year. And there is absolutely no plan. No one has a plan to stop it. Uh, and and the the, the uh, American people 
are either going to rise up and say enough is enough and vote the rascals out and stop it, or they're not. The, the Constitution is a great Constitution. It has stood the test of time for uh, two and a half centuries now. But you know what? It's not a cure for societal collapse right. uh, where the, the people refuse to hold a government accountable that refuses to live within its means. Now, the people to- refuse to hold the government accountable that throws the border open. Uh, and so uh, there, there are going to be a lot of issues. Uh, on the ballot uh, in November, and the American people are going to have to make some decisions uh, because these, you know, someone once said, if something can't go on, it won't. And you know, if if, you, if the if the invasion of the border can't be sustained in a sovereign country, uh, then it's it's not going to be a sovereign country anymore. If the uh, tr- if the debt comes to an unmanageable crisis where the interest on the national debt becomes the largest expenditure of the federal government, well, the American people voted for that, or they didn't. Right. In the few seconds that we have left, do you have time to take a call from a caller? Sure. Hey, Bruce, welcome to the program. Your your comment or question for Barry Arrington. Yeah, thanks, Gino. Hey, Barry, I'm wondering, you know, you're, you're we're looking at how – the state is told not to violate federal law and being, you know, uh, kind of tied up in the sense that they, the wire they put out, the federal government can take it down. But what about, in contrast, sanctuary cities who thumb their nose at the federal government, but the federal government's letting them get away with it? I mean, is this just chaos? And and what I mean, I'm just, I, can you give me your take on it? So uh, let, let's first uh, correct something that you said earlier. The, 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 no court has told Texas that it cannot put the, the border barriers up, the razor wire up. Only thing that it's said is that it can't stop the Biden administration from taking it down. Texas has a right to uh, defend its border, and it's going to continue to defend its border. And whether um, the, the Biden the, the, the federal government is going to continue to try to thwart Texas's efforts to defend its border or, on the other hand, join Texas in its ever, efforts to defend its border is going to be determined in November. Uh, but I can tell you that the Uniparty wants the border open. Mitch McConnell um, uh, doesn't care about the border. Um, uh, the um, Uniparty has determined that for whatever reason, open borders are the thing. And when I say the Uniparty, uh, there, there's not a dime's worth of difference between the Democrats and the Republicans in many of these uh, um, aspects. Issues, yeah. Uh, um, Mitt Romney just today is standing up and, and talking about uh, the border deal, so to speak, as if a new statute is going to uh, compel the Biden administration to do what it's re- required to do under the existing statutes. Uh, so um, that that is going to be an election issue. Now, sanctuary cities, that's just, um, in, in my view, uh, nothing. It, it's mm-hmm. it's virtual, virtue signaling by these um, progressive, so to speak, uh, states and cities saying, "Oh, we're sanctuaries here." But you know what? <laughs> as they, as this, one of the things brilliant about Abbott uh, is, is he said, "Okay, you're a sanctuary. We'll send them up to you." And the, just as soon as he started doing that, 
they weren't sanctuary cities anymore, were they? Yes, yes, and yes. Barry, what you're saying seems to be exactly what the governor of the state of Texas is saying, that Joe Biden and and this administration does have an option, and the option is to enforce the laws of the United States and stop the illegal entry. But you're also pointing out if a growing group of the American people say that that's exactly what we want, we want lawlessness and open borders, they, their wish may come true. That's exactly right. Uh, in, in a democracy, uh, you, you get the dev- government that the people deserve, and, and the, the government that the people deserve is the one that they vote for. And we might vote for a government that will enforce the border, borders in November. Or Can not. I guarantee it? No. There are tens of million people who are going to vote, tens of millions of people who are going to vote for the status quo. And, and again, this idea that we can that the uniparty can pass a, a, a bipartisan deal to stop the flood of illegal immigrants across the southern border is utter nonsense. You don't need a new statute. The existing statutes prevent that. They just need to be enforced. And so it's absurd to say um, that President Biden's just waiting for another statute to come on the books so that he can enforce the, uh, the border. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303-873-1935. If you'd like to join me on the program, 303-873-1935. We were talking with Bruce a little bit with Barry Arrington, and it was great having him as a guest. But uh, Bruce was off, you know, talking about the sanctuary city situation. And it is interesting to me that Governor Greg Abbott and the the Texas Department of Public Safety and the Texas National Guard um, have resolved that they are going to secure the Texas border. And it wasn't just simply because of the flood of illegal aliens. It was to stop the smuggling of drugs and weapons and trafficked individuals. And they have a... um, a program that they're calling Operation Lone Star. But, Bruce, if you're still listening, um, Operation Lone Star has um, some interesting information that's been posted at govtexas.gov. And, or if you type in a search engine, Operation Lone Star. But there they, they point out that they have – through multiple agency effort, it's led to 496,700 illegal alien apprehensions, more than 38,700 criminal arrests, 35,100 felony arrests. And again, part of this has to do with fentanyl and the fentanyl crisis. According to the Texas government, Texas law enforcement has seized 454 million lethal doses of fentanyl. That, that, that's just on the Texas border. That means that they have seized enough fentanyl to kill every man, every woman, Every child in America. Oh, not so. Not only to kill. So, if there's about 336 million human uh, human beings in 
the United States of America, they've recovered 454 million lethal doses. So, And that doesn't include the amount of lethal doses that have made it. If law enforcement has seized 454 million lethal doses, I wonder how many lethal doses of fentanyl are in America right at this very moment. And to Bruce's point about sanctuary cities, Texas has transported 12,500 migrants to Washington, D.C. since April 2022. 37,500 migrants to New York City since August 2022. 31,200 migrants to Chicago since August of 2022. 3,400 migrants to Philadelphia since November 2022. Right here in Denver, 16,000 migrants were shipped from Texas to Denver since May 18th. Over 1,500 migrants to Los Angeles. And so, this is very, very, very interesting about how things are unfolding. And um, according to the Texas government, the members of the Department of Public Safety brush team arrested a smuggling guide who was wanted for murder in Texas this week. The guide was helping seven illegal immigrants cross the Rio Grande in mission. Elipedio Camacho Barajas, 35, of Mexico, was arrested for felony human smuggling. Barajas was also wanted out of Mexico for murder and a dozen other previous apprehensions for illegal entry. The Department of Public Safety troopers arrested two males from the Republic of Azerbaijan and one from Ecuador for criminal trespass after crossing through the barbed wire at Shelby Park. This is just like right now. It is so interesting what's going on and what will continue to go on. 303-873-1935 is my number. If you'd like to join me on the program, 303-873-1935. I didn't uh, report it yesterday, but um, I was talking a little bit about the issue of um, same-sex marriages, the LGBTQ wedding comments that um, Alistair Begg made, um, I'm thinking several months ago, but it sort of created a a social media stir and American family radio announced this week that it's dropped Alistair Begg from truth for life program. Um, and of course I've had Alistair Begg, um, in person at Calvary South Denver and on this program and I like him and, um, and recommend his ministry. So that's a whole nother issue, but, I do uh, believe that he miss that he would wouldn't say he misspoke, but we have a, a very different uh, opinion of of whether or not that was a good idea or a bad idea. And I've talked about the issue of LGBTQ weddings, same sex weddings. That's a whole nother issue. And again, if you want to join me on the program, it's three zero three eight seven three. 
1935. And of course, um, for many Jewish people, this is what's called Holocaust Remembrance Day. And uh, for many Jewish people, and for people who love the Jewish people, um, Holocaust Remembrance Day is very, very important. As a matter of fact, Elon Musk, along with, I want to say, um, Daily Wire guy, um, he they they visited um, Auschwitz. So that was very, very interesting. 303-873-1935. That's the number. If you want to join me on the program, let's see who's up. Craig, welcome to the program. Hi, Craig. Hey, Gino, how you doing? Doing good. Hi, how you doing? Good. good. Hey, I had a question for you. Um, in the pre-trib um, interpretation of the end times, it, it says that the entire seven-year period during the seven-year covenant will be a time of tribulation. Is that right? I think um, not all people believe that. In other words, clearly there's going to be a seven-year covenant, or there's going to be a covenant. But according to the pre-tribulation rapture position, that covenant is broken after three, three and a half years. So... Yeah. Um, so so the way that I would think about it is, according to Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, and Revelation chapter 6 through chapter 18, there seems to be good evidence that the whole tribulation will last seven years. So to your point, does that mean the covenant will last seven years? Not necessarily. I suspect that the tribulation period lasts seven years, but and, and at the three-and-a-half-year mark— the covenant is made and broken. So I I know we're coming up on a break, but if you don't mind holding over, and I don't want to be presumptuous, but if you can no. stay over, I'd like to, to talk about this. So it is, it's my understanding that it's possible that the covenant is made and broken in less than seven years. Okay. So the way that um, I, I come up with that amount is Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, where it says 70 weeks are appointed to your people, Daniel, the Jews. And so there are 77s. In the Hebrew, it's called a heptad, a week, a seven. It doesn't say seven days. doesn't say seven months. doesn't say seven years, but we have every reason to believe that it's a period of seven years. But hold on, we'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303-873-1935. And we were talking with Craig, and you were asking about the seven-year covenant and the tribulation period from a at least a pre-tribulational rapture standpoint. And so I guess the way I would answer your question is there doesn't seem to be any reason why the covenant has to last seven years. Yeah, yeah. I guess my question 
relates more to the first part of the first, let's call it the first half of the, of the seven-year period. I, I, I don't understand why that's called tribulation, because the Jews are going to have their temple, they're going to be making their daily sacrifices. It doesn't sound like it's, you know, people will be marrying, be given in marriage, and it doesn't sound like it's a real, you know, tribulation-filled period of time, those three and a half years before. Uh, right. And let me, let me tell you why, why it is a tribulation. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, at the end of the verse, it says, And there will be a time of distress, such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And then you have Jesus almost quoting that verse in Matthew twenty four twenty one when he says, For then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And then in Jeremiah uh, chapter 30, verse 7, it says, Alas, that day is so great, there's none like it. It is a time of distress for Jacob, yet it shall be saved out of it. So to your point, if you're asking me, will the first three and a half years be relatively peaceful. And I'm going to suggest to you it's going to be problematic, but then it's going to be catastrophic. So what I think the way I would think about it is in its entirety. So if you pause and you think about it as a as a unit, okay, as that seven-year unit, where somehow, the, in my view, the beginning of the tribulation is initiated, if you will, with this abomination of desolation, which takes place by this Antichrist figure. And then he makes a covenant, to your point, a peace pact with the world for seven years. Um, halfway through that seven-year period, in the middle of the week, we're told this man breaks the covenant he has made. So imagine, okay, so imagine three and a half years. If we ask and we answer the question, what is the single act that initiates this time period? And then fast forward three and a half years and you come to the middle of this period. Um, how do we determine that? And I'm going to suggest to you, I don't know the answer to that question. I used to think that the tribulation, excuse me, that the rapture initiates it, but I no longer believe that. I think it's possible that you could have a rapture of the saints, but that isn't what triggers what you might say the clock that makes the clock start ticking all over again. So we do know that halfway through this period, the seven-year period, in the middle of the week, the text says, this Antichrist figure breaks the covenant. So I have every reason to believe that it could be that the covenant itself is what initiates this time period. So if, if you were to ask yeah, that's the way I read it. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the way I read it as well. So it, the, the way I think about it is, is there an Antichrist figure who's going to come on the scene? Yeah. Will this Antichrist figure negotiate a peace that ensures Israel's security? Uh, yes. Will this Antichrist figure have the ability to compel compliance with this? Yes. But then he'll turn his back on them 
As a matter of fact, he will wickedly break the covenant, and that means all of the of the promises made will be stopped. The the sacrifice, the grain offering, the rebuilt temple, and then that's when I think all hell breaks loose as it's outlined in the book of Revelation. In Revelation thirteen. Yes. So so now so now you're talking about to you talk about the tribulation. Will that the time where he initiates the covenant and then um, and breaks the covenant? So let's so if to your point, is this a great tribulation? I think it's going to be a disaster. And let me tell you what I mean by that. It's a disaster like World War One, World War Two. We're talking about a fairly gruesome time. But then when you get to the middle of the week. We're talking about the annihilation of one-third of the population of the planet Earth. And then once that happens, then another fourth of the population is destroyed. And so you see this unfolding situation in the book of Revelation where you've got this ever-increasing, I'm going to use the term catastrophic, so much so that unless it were drawn to a conclusion literally everybody on the planet earth would die. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see it. I see it a little differently. Um, I, I see that first part of the, of the seven year covenant with when the covenant still in effect as not being a time of tribulation. I mean, the, the, the Jew, the, the Jewish, the Jews will have the, the temple Mount back. They will have built a, a temple. They will be making their daily sacrifices and then I see the tribulation starting when when uh, when Antichrist breaks that covenant and he you know takes this the abomination of desolation he takes his place in the temple of God and so forth. Um, yeah, I, and, and I don't di- I don't I don't disagree I don't disagree with that in this sense. I I I the way I would think about it, you're right. Somehow during those first three and a half years, people will be able to function. Okay, they'll function. Right, right. Um, will they function peace, prosperity, happiness, and all of that stuff? I suspect that some people will, and most people won't. But then, to your point, at the at when the covenant is broken, and the sealed book, uh, you know, the summons to the throne that takes place in chapter four. And then the judgments out of the throne, and then the sealed books, and then the you know you've got the, the the rise to power. And what's what's difficult is that when you're looking at the book of Revelation, it isn't chronological. It isn't like this no, is first right. and this is second and this is third. It's almost like a montage. I mean, if you've ever seen a film where they go back in time, and then they go forward in time. And you're watching the film, and you're going, "Where are we at in the story? Are, have, have, is this a flashback? Is this a flash forward?" And and so some it's, that makes it difficult reading. But yeah, in fact, um, I, yeah. Well, to your point, when the seals are are are, are unfolded, war, famine, death, and and a massive. A massive persecution and sacrifice. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear you. I, 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 I think I put those in the in the second half of the of the tribulation, seven year seven year. Uh, sorry, second half of the seven year period. But um, to your point about the montage, I, 
I uh, I studied this pretty intently about, about 20 years ago and wrote some wrote, wrote about it. Um, but I, I see the uh, I see the di- the different visions in Revelation. Yeah, you're right. the the uh, The Book of Revelation is not chronologically ordered, but when you break down John's visions, four uh-huh. of them in particular, where he where he has a the, you know those are inside each vision. They it is chronological, and so when you can match up the four different visions, you know, starting in four two and then twelve one and you know, fifteen one and seventeen three. Um, then the 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 events inside each one of those visions is chronological, and you can mesh the, all those four visions together and come up with a uh, a, chronolo- a chronology. Interesting. Hey, well, thank you so much for your call. <laughs> I gotta go, as you can hear the music playing. Hey, but thanks for your call. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.